Hello, everybody. We have exciting news from the Miss Fisher files. The Kickstarter happened for the movie. Miss mm-hmm. Fisher and the Crypt of Tears is definitely happening. They got like triple what they were asking for this Kickstarter campaign. Mm-hmm. It was wildly successful, which is awesome. And then we also have some exciting news on our end. So we may have pledged at a level that requires us to fly to Australia. We did. We did do that. Can I tell this story? Sure. Okay. So <laughs> you called me and it was kind of late at night. My, my in-laws were visiting. So I was like whispering in the kitchen. <laughs> is not to wake them up in the next room. And so you start telling me the story and you're like, well, okay, so I made my pledge and I started talking like, oh yeah, I was thinking about pledging at this level and I can't really decide, do I want like the little costume drawings or do I blah, blah, blah. And you were like, um, so I kind of already pledged. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what, what'd you do? And you're like, well, um, I, I sort of, um, pledged at the level that you go to Australia. <laughs> to be in the movie and you're allowed to bring a plus one and you can be my plus one if you want (laughs) and I was like what (laughs) it just I don't know I feel like I manifested this somehow in some weird way I've had this idea since since we started the podcast that somehow you and I will be traveling to Australia at some point in time like I really had already envisioned this happening yeah yeah yeah. and so then this thing was you know put up on the internet and um all you needed was a big enough credit card yeah which (laughs) I turns out had and used and I get miles for it so boy howdy will you get miles right right yeah Yeah, so that's a (laughs) win-win. So, yeah, Chandler and I are going to Australia. We are going to be in the movie as extras, and they are very careful in the description of that level. I will be in the corner with a bag over my head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if the script is going to call for that, but... We'll work it in. (laughs) So, honestly, I don't care if I'm, like, in the final cut of the movie... Just to go and be there and I be just, part of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am so excited to be on the film set. Um, apparently, we get to have lunch with the cast and crew. Hooray. What? That'll be awesome, too. But, like, I, I just, just want to meet Aunt P. Oh. I really want to meet Miriam Margulies. Yeah. I hope she'll be at lunch that day. I know. I wonder. I. It's such a weird thing to know that this is happening in like a year yeah we have no idea when we're going they said july ish ish of 2018 like it's just so far off it's so ambiguous does not feel real at all not at all no um so yeah that's our exciting news we are thrilled we're gonna find that alleyway yes we are going to search all of Melbourne. I don't think we'll actually have to search very hard. I don't think hard. we'll have to. There's no. Somebody probably has set up like a Google map with pins on it like right now. Oh, yes. I'm going to go search for that as soon as we're done here. <laughs> but um, but yeah, we will be finding that alley and taking yep. way too many and pictures. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know right where Hello. that is. I've already Google Earthed it. Okay. Like I know exactly where and that is. the bathing huts. Oh, the bathing huts. We need to go to St. Kilda. We can take the tram. We can take the tram yes! there. Yes. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be so fun. So, yeah, we're super thrilled. Yeah. Uh, while we are there, we would love to meet up with anybody who also loves Miss Fisher or also happens to listen to this podcast, which is the only way you will know that we are going to be there. So, presumably, you do listen <laughs> to this podcast. If you're not listening to this podcast, then you won't know that we're going. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, if you live in the area or if you are going to be there, if you are somebody else who also happened to pledge at a level that requires you to be in Melbourne and you will be there at the same time, be very, very fun to meet up and have mm-hmm. some sort of gathering. Um, It'd be like a mini Miss Fisher Con. Right. An on-location Miss Fisher Con. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Um, so get in touch with us. You can email us at my email address. It is Mary Holsty, and it's M-A-R-Y-H-O-L-S as in Sam, T as in Tom, E as in elephant, at gmail.com. So once again, that is Mary Holsty at gmail.com. And drop us a line. Let us know that you're in the area and you'd be interested in meeting up or tell us about some great restaurant or something. Crazy that, roadside attraction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, Hello. We are all about that. Big neon signs. Um, yeah. 
any of that kind of stuff, we would love to hear about it. So yeah, let us know. And also if Anthony Sharp is listening, you still owe me a tour. (gasps) That's right. Got to call in that favor. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When he offered that, he did not know that we would actually be. Yeah. Well, we have you on record, sir. (laughs) (laughs) But we will be reporting on our experience on this podcast. So we are nearing the end of the recaps which is very sad. Very like sad. we still have season three and we still have a couple more for season yep. two. Yep. But, um, but we're, you know, there will be an, an end there, to there's that. There's a finite number of these yeah. things. But we can be continuing the podcast by reporting on this adventure that we're going to yeah. undertake next year. And then year. of course the film itself. Yes. I think we will have plenty to talk about. Um, and if you don't know this already, we have actually started a second podcast because we are not, sick of talking so we decided to have an entire as you know we never run out of things to talk about we We really do forever i know so we decided to do a travel podcast because we always seem to talk about travel anyway um if you haven't checked it out it's called the misadventure podcast and it was in this feed last time i think like Mm -hmm. it's in it's in this feed so hopefully you can find the first episode and that will take you to the rest of them if you if you care to listen but we will definitely be um talking about our adventures in oz definitely the the venn diagram between these two podcasts (laughs) yeah it really is it's like the perfect (laughs) middle fodder for both i know (laughs) so yeah get in touch um with us and say hey and we will keep you updated on what's happening with the movie and now on with the show woot you can cut my woot (laughs) no it was great I love it you would do well to woot (laughs) welcome back to the Miss Fisher Files Today we are talking season two, episode 11, Dead Air, which I have to say is a pretty fun one. Yeah, this is on the list of favorites, I think. And today we have very special guest. So Jojo, if you're listening, which I know you are, you're going to laugh because Jojo is always <laughs> telling me that my spouse is imaginary, but today we are here to prove you wrong. Uh, I'm imaginary. Yes. <laughs> Not any longer. Uh, you're real today. Maybe I'm a figment. You That's never know. true. Because... He uh, knows a lot about radio and radio shows. We've invited him here, here on the show today. And um, because he wishes to be anonymous in the online world, I have always referred to him as a pseudonym. So he, won't be, he will not be unmasked here today. Um, <laughs> so we're going to refer to him as the Taylor, which is his pseudonym. Very mysterious. So welcome, so welcome Mr. Taylor. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You are actually our first guest to possess a Y chromosome. My That's goodness. That's right. So, I feel honored. So, I <laughs> As guess you should. The Mr. Fisher files today. <laughs> <sighs> so, dead air. There is a lot to talk about. There is. I have and a lot of notes. Me too. It's a, it was a great episode. Yeah. A lot of this fun. one, yeah, it is a lot of fun and I think kind of along the lines of um, Dead Man's Chest, partly cuz we're out of the office. Mm-hmm. Like it yeah. feels a little bit freer mm-hmm. and plus you have Archibald Jones, you know, so <laughs> like Jack is liberated from his you normal. You see Jack wearing different colors. Yes. Yeah, this yes. is one of the notes that I wrote down and actually I watched this again with you. Mm-hmm. Um and you made note of that and I actually said, "Yeah, I wrote that down." Um when when Jack is not on duty, in he wears this. lighter colors. He's not wearing his trademark gray. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's in, he's in beige and gold. His gold tie. Mm-hmm. And it's that that patterned sweater vest. Yeah, right? it's like a Fair Isle mm-hmm. knitted sweater, and then he's got that beautiful herringbone jacket mm-hmm. over it, and that gold tie that I love. And in fact, at one point towards the end, both Jimmy and Jack are wearing gold ties, and I wrote gold tie a palooza. <laughs> so I think you were less fond of the blue tie he was wearing at the end of the show. True. Yeah. Mm. True. But we've seen that tie before. That's but a- it's, it's, it's a nice touch because it makes him sort of blend in with the rather more flamboyant characters who broadcast on the radio. Yeah. He is pretty so. flamboyant in that scene because it's kind of loud, that combination mm-hmm. between that knitted sweater mm-hmm. vest and that. I mean, 
quote unquote loud. Loud for Jack. <laughs> loud for Jack. Mr. I am the color of a steel mm-hmm. post. Right. Most of the time. Mm-hmm. That sweater vest plays a part in another episode as it's far the Christmas as... episode he was wearing it yes. at yeah. the castle at the at the hunting lodge. Right. Mm-hmm. I do like that vest. Yeah. There's some good loud menswear in this. Um, is it is Jimmy the one who wears the, that very strong plaid? It's like a pea soup plaid. Very large. With that plaid. gold tie. I love that mm-hmm. jacket. It is ridiculous. He looks like a used car salesman, <laughs> but I love it. He wears that with the camel's hair waistcoat with, yeah. the, with the keyhole mm-hmm. buttonholes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the thing about Jimmy that I can't stand is that god awful haircut. <laughs> and I don't know if he's got just for men like hair dye in there that's making it really it's like it's like the wrong color for his face slash age plus it's unkempt <laughs> as hell so he's got like this it's like tom hanks in the da vinci code he's got this like dead animal perched on his head and it makes me so angry every time and he, it never changes he never combs that damn thing well, maybe maybe that's a device to show what an unhinged sort of character he is mm, i mean after all by the end of the show we, we see that he's killed not once but three times true right? almost four almost, almost four. four would it kill him to get some brill cream though perhaps literally <laughs> <laughs> i always think he looks like jeffrey rush yes he i totally thought like that jeffrey rush. i totally except jeffrey rush is way less annoying oh yeah <laughs> well i don't know i kind of liked him as the side character he has it was mostly has, the hair the hair just infuriated okay. me yeah. All right. But the other guy with the bow tie, the very well dressed radio the announcer, sports Clarence Ball, Clary, no, Clary. Clary. Call I've me Clary. only ever heard Clary used as a nickname for Clarence well with Australians. Together. Really? Although his bow tie yeah. is often askew. Mm. It also clashes with that scarf big time. And he has always got that scarf on, yeah. which you never quite see. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That silk, mm-hmm. orange and gray and white business mm-hmm. that he's wearing. Mm-hmm. Basically, we just talked about menswear the whole I know. time. This is amazing. <laughs> the men's beat has expanded. Yeah. It's double in size. Yeah. <laughs> also, Jimmy has that velvet collar on that camel hair coat that he wears when he goes to Franny's house. Oh yes. And she's questioning him, and he's not very cooperative. He's wearing. He's got that. That. Um, like we talked about, that velvet collar it was very 1920s, oh, and it made a mm-hmm. comeback in the 70s, except it looked terrible in the 70s because it was paired with all sorts mm-hmm. of other things that looked terrible because it was the 70s. Because of the 70s, yeah. Sometimes you see an uh, alternate collar that's a fur collar or yeah. something on a, on a contrasting color jacket. Overcoat, mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But I bet the producers of this particular episode had a lot of fun finding that console radio that mm. was at Franny's house, that operatic brand console radio, which I looked up, and those were made in Adelaide, Australia. Huh. Way back in the day, you can still find antique ones for sale if you look hard enough. It's very Art Deco. I love the very big light needle that's on there, the dial. Mm-hmm. Really nice. Well, and, they, and so you can see all the various shortwave bands if you look closely at the dial, when Mr. Butler is t- spinning the dial, you can see all the various shortwave bands that existed at the time. Huh. And I, he tried to explain this to me last night, and I just, I really, I tried, but I really don't understand much about radio. I did remember about AM radio bouncing off the ionosphere versus FM radio needing some sort of line of sight. Well, FM, of course, didn't come till much later. Yeah. And so all the... All the commercially produced radios, the super heterodyne radios of the mid-1920s, were all AM. Mm-hmm. And AM had its problems. You know, there was a lot of feedback issues. It wasn't very clear signal. People, there were problems with FM. I mean, you know this if you've ever listened to FM. If you come close to the radio with anything electronic, yeah. it creates a bunch yeah. of feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they, the solution to this, which came later, was FM. But, but the producers of AM radios then didn't want FM because it meant that the AM radios were of no use. You'd have to manufacture a new device. And so these majestic console radios would then be of no use. You do wonder with the producers of this show how they, you know, where do they dig up these things? All of the equipment that's in the the radio station there, I mean, it's, they actually have Victrolas that they're playing records through a Victrola horn into an, into a microphone, right? Mm -hmm. Which is hilariously primitive. Um, But, Radio would have been in its infancy. That yeah. the very first Australian radio broadcast wasn't until 1923. 
So I think the show is, huh. this episode is 29, 28? 28, 29. So it yeah. was all very, very new. Wow. Yeah. 23. 23 was that the first. Yeah, yeah, that is so recent. In America, it was Westinghouse-sponsored, uh, I think it was, I'm taking this from memory, but I think it was the election of 1920 was brought to you by Westinghouse on the radio. Um, so that was the first sort of. But so, all, and where this is very interesting is that of course, there was no... I mean, everything was independent, right? You write your own radio material and you broadcast it. There's no recordings. There's no central broadcasting company sending you tapes to broadcast that week. It's all what you choose to play mm-hmm. or what show you wrote. Or, and the commercials so that if, you do right. as you're and, running. And you have to yeah. read them every time. Yeah, <laughs> And I wonder right? if that... I mean, they hinted at sabotage happening between radio stations and they didn't really flesh it out. They never mm. really completed that. But I wonder if that's where some of that comes from. If you... If, they're, if, the, if nothing is nationally syndicated at that point, are they all in fierce competition mm. with each other? Are they trying to put each other out of business? Well, I mean, not really in the sense that... Think about think about how far your signal would go. Well, that's true. It wouldn't go far outside the but city But if there limits. was more than one Victoria... If there was one Melbourne station there or might have been. You know, more than one Sydney station. Oh, speaking of which, so if you look at the call signal, which uh, is 3JH... I looked this up as well, and that is so the the fir- the number indicates. And this is still how Australian call signals are. Apparently, call signs for radios is the number tells you the state. So three is for Victoria, which is where Melbourne is, mm-hmm. and then it was two letters then for an AM station, and then later three letters for an FM station. So three J H three must be somewhere in in Victoria, and then the J H would have been. Unique. It's uh, kind of. I mean, station. like our system is K, the K's and W's, like mm-hmm. WGBH right. in Boston or KUOW in yeah. Seattle. Why? Why is that? Why do we it, have K's and W's? It used to be. It's the, it's muddled a bit, but I sort of remember this. It used to be that the W stations were like east of the Mississippi River, yes. and the K stations were west. Yes. Huh. But it's become muddled a bit. There are some eastern has, K stations and some that western. Was the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, oh. Why K's and random W's? radio stuff that I, I learned know. from I mean, my dad. Just, was that arbitrary or? No, I, actually, I suspect it had something to do with the Morse code signal for K's and W's. Mm-hmm. But I don't know off the top of my head. I'm that sure that sense. must be what it's related to. <laughs> well, that sort of reminds me. Let's let's talk a little bit about the whole radio show phenomenon. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of been carried on. Garrison Keillor has carried this into the modern era, even though he himself is a dinosaur um, <laughs> with the, you know, there's a guy in the background doing his sound effects. And then, you know, he's, he's whistling the, when there's a tea kettle. The and, Foley artist. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like a Foley mm-hmm. artist on, mm-hmm. on set. And they hint at this in the show. And I know you, um, have a bunch of these old radio shows that I've, I know I've heard you listening to mm-hmm. in the house. Do you have any like that where they have sound oh, effects? Sure. Well, they all had sound effects, but bear in mind also that in the 1920s, now by 1927 there were sound movies, although mm-hmm. most movie theaters, the the transition to sound, which there was another Franny, did we already? Yeah, we passed that one okay. already. The, the transition to sound was kind of a big deal. Yeah, right. Um, but in the silent movie days, in any large movie house, somebody there would have also been doing sound effects in real time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they would have been playing music and then beating on bedpans. Knocking pans, on doors. And, bedpans yeah. and bells and whistles and all sorts of things like that. Um, but so, sure, back in, the, back in the day, all radio shows would have had their own sound effects. And the funny thing here, of course, is that it's the polking horns, right? Because <laughs> it's their own little clever little, you know, it's not Fibber McGee and Molly or The Shadow or The Saint or all but of But it's those. obviously a serial because when, oh, when Friday serial, comes yeah. in, she's not heard this, this show before. And so Dot has to fill her in and oh, say, yeah. when she says, who's Guinevere? Oh, that's their daughter. She's been missing since blah de blah blah <laughs> mm-hmm. And of course, Dot <laughs> is an avid fan. Just what did she say? She ran away with the Italian opera singer. Oh, right. Of oh, course. Right. And Friday's like, well, we've all done that. <laughs> 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 so yeah, there's a, a convoluted mystery plot to this one, as mm-hmm. per usual. There is. Um, and I interpreted the possibility of sabotage from the newspaper industry as just a way to insert like the cultural goings on of that time. Sure. Like that was yes. kind of all I could see. 
Yeah, I think like, so. In terms well, of its, it's like importance, pick, pick a trope from pick a cultural trope from the 1920s, right. and we'll center a mystery around it. And mm-hmm. you know, we've already done the talkies and the films. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. But this is really fun. Yeah. I love oh, seeing is. the behind the scenes of this world. Sure. Mm-hmm. And the only, I think, the only other time I can remember seeing it besides Prairie Home Companion would be uh, the movie Annie. From oh, yes. the 80s. Yes, indeed. When they go into the radio yes. station to advertise, mm-hmm. to broadcast that there's a reward for her being found. There's another one, which would be uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, yeah. yeah. Where they go into the radio broadcast of Pappy McDaniels, uh, Pass the Biscuits, Pappy, Pass the Biscuits McDaniels, or whatever he's called. (laughs) That's right. I forgot about that one. Same idea. Um, What's interesting about radio shows, of course, I mean, the heyday of radio had a very short golden age, right? It was the 30s and the 40s, and then... Television came uh, and in 1948, right? And all of these, you know, ABC and NBC and CBS, they were all big radio networks first, and so then they took all their massive profits from radio, poured them into television, and then and sort of starved killed, radio, yeah. Um, but that radio. Is, has not been the case in Australia and Britain. So no, Australia and Britain have continued this tradition of doing radio dramas, and yes. the BBC today mm-hmm. still does radio oh, dramas. Oh, they do, yes. Um, the ABC still does radio dramas, and in fact, a mm-hmm. lot of the stars that were in the Lord of the Rings films, they already knew each other because they had been doing radio dramas together. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, Miranda Otto had huh. done radio dramas before. Um, it is a medium that continued longer in other places. Yeah, yeah. so while, it got, while television killed it off in the States, mm-hmm. that wasn't the case. Well, but a lot, of the, a lot of shows, I mean, The Guiding Light was first a 15-minute serial from the 1930s. Before it became a soap opera on the TV? Of course. Oh. All of these shows, even huh. more unfortunate ones like Amos and Andy was a radio show before mm. it was a TV show. and I guess that makes sense. And, and really so they would, well, they Benny just, Hill. Benny Hill was not a radio show. Wasn't it? No. That's much newer. I thought it started as a radio show. Nope. Oh, so you just have these awful recordings of it that I hate. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll strike that from the record. No. That's pure gold right there. <sighs> but, you know, the, so the the... The genre of the mystery was a big radio show thing. Like, you have a whole series called Suspense that... Mm. And Suspense lasted for many decades. And, they, and they've revived it, right? Uh, they have, and I don't think much of the revival. Well, I, yeah, I've heard very one well that's done. pretty awful, but... Um. Um, but actually, there were some real stars, film stars like uh, Agnes Moorhead and... Well, they. this is what they did. Every week they had a big star. Mm-hmm. There's also been a resurgence in... Uh, so they, they've now made these 30-minute radio dramas based on the original episodes of The Twilight Zone. Mm. And they're also not very good. But uh, but they exist. So I don't well, know. Maybe this is, The this Twilight is. Zone keeps coming back because mm-hmm. there was, you know, the original show was amazing. And then there was a, a revival in the 80s. Do you remember that? I do. Which was okay, but it didn't have the brilliance of the, the original. But I think, I don't know, this tradition of these series coming back in so many formats, like the... There was a Sherlock Holmes serial on the radio that even had Basil Rathbone, right? Basil Rathbone was Sherlock Holmes, but both in radio and, and in film. film. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. to be sure. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it kind of transcended the medium. And there. it was Tom Conway after that. But hmm. yeah. I can't believe you know that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like podcasts are the new radio. In many ways, that's we true. We need sound effects. Right? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's as far as we've gotten. <laughs> Somebody get me a coffee can full of coins. <laughs> so this one is a if a fun one because there is a lot of good banter, oh, which yeah. I love. I love me Flirt, some banter. Flirtation. Yeah, to I mean, it, we start off with with a bang at the beginning. There, I can't say that without. Sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, right in the hallway. When Jack finds out that his cover is blown with Phryne mm-hmm. and he comes out and they talk, what, four, four inches apart? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I, I can't, it would be very funny to actually do that. four inches apart many times in this episode. Yes. Like, in and her foyer and... I read an article about Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer filming The Sound of Music and the scene in the gazebo 
where they're dancing and they're falling in love. And they are singing so close together that Julie Andrews could not stop laughing because she was like, because of the close proximity to Christopher Plummer's face. And she never had to sing like three inches (laughs) from somebody. Smelling distance from somebody. (laughs) So some of the scene is shot from the side because they realized that was the only way they could, you could not, tell that she was laughing although if you watch it her silhouette you can see that she is in fact laughing that's really funny but i think it would be so bizarre to be even like right yeah right in front of you whatever i love it so (laughs) so yeah yeah, we get some some really yeah when she's breaking in and she's got that modified fork to oh geez panel how and she's like steady me anytime (laughs) inspector (laughs) the modified fork i love that Mm-hmm. It's been especially modified, and she just happens to know oh, exactly to go to the where, cupboard. But it does seem like it'd be for prying something up, like a false bottom. So, mm-hmm. so I would have guessed drawer. I would, or, yeah, I could see that. You know, but the this is also is one of the episodes where, I mean, you speak of a cultural trope. We get to see the uh, newspaper seller. Right? Oh, yes. And I don't think that's in any other episode quite like that. Um, but we have seen that alley before. Yes. We have seen that alley before. Many times. <laughs> Yeah, but, but the way they have him dressed, and and the and the and the shots of the newspaper stand show the advertisement on the side for bicycles, and then they make sure to cut to people riding bicycles yeah. by the newspaper stand. Yeah, um, which is which is a lot of fun. Oh, oh, and that red herring about the um, the cigarette package where he mm-hmm. folds uh-huh. it up. I mean, they make it look like that's going to be some signal about the bookie thing. It turns out it's just a what nervous tick or Seems something. Seems like it's just a nervous habit yeah. of his. But they give, they give him away before you even know that he's a smoker because they went to great lengths to give him those yellow teeth. And so before he even lights up, you see the yellow teeth and you Whoa. think he's I did a smoker. not notice that. Oh, yes. Um, on the side of the newspaper stand, one of the enlarged uh, newspaper front pages. Oh, uh-huh. Mm. Um, it says, Bride of Babylon, talking picture, continues to break Australian box office oh, records. Oh, so the one from the film episode. I yes. didn't even notice that. I did not that notice was, that. I, I cannot claim to have noticed that. That was that was making the rounds on the internet. That but I great. love that there's that little How Easter funny. egg there. And yeah. so I paused it. And it's actually very hard to read the whole thing because the guy walks right in front of it. Oh, how funny. But yeah, I love that they worked that in. Yeah. What a nice touch. Yeah. I know. Especially since that was the same alleyway from that, <laughs> that studio where they shot it. Yeah. You know, with I like, think it oh, is. Yeah, so it was. The, is it the same with, I think oh, it, I think is. it is. Like the bit, I think it's from Could the be. different angle. I think yeah, they're shooting it from the it. other side. I felt like they... In the uh, frame for murder, the fruit seller one. Yeah, I'm where, pretty sure it's one that where their their tomboy girl is uh-huh. selling oranges. Yeah, uh, I don't know. There's something the, the way that, they that either scarf they that was stolen. Yes, yeah. the lucky scarf. The lucky scarf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I have to check that out again. Know, it, someone's no, on it this. it was a lucky hat, I think. It was the yes, yeah. yes. It was the, the scarf. Was, was, was the scarf was used to hang him. Well. Yeah. Well, it wasn't, but it technically. Wasn't, no. But they thought so. They yes. thought so. Yes. And then the dog, whatever. We already <laughs> talked about this. Um, the other main subplot here is oh, yes. Hugh and Dot run into a little snag. Yes. Right. And their theme comes back, I believe. Yeah. It does. Again. That the wonky, wonky piano. piano. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it and it's off again. Yep. As there's trouble in Hugh and Dot land. Yes. So did he propose it at the end of the last episode then? He, yes. Yeah. What was Death the last on the episode? Vine or Murder on the Vine. Oh, yes. The Vine one. I can right. never remember Brown if it's Death on Murder. Right. Brown Town, yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he had been trying the whole episode to do it and yeah. totally miss, the missing all the cues. The man can't read a room. Come on. <sighs> yeah. Poor Hugh. You know, but everyone's he, looking around for evidence and dot, dot, and he's like trying to kneel. Like, come on. Yeah. Read a room. But he did it at the end. For you. So, but yes. yes, this is his um, discovery of the modern... The paradox, paradox. of paradox. pursuing a modern uh, woman. Yeah. <laughs> to work outside the home. Yeah. And this, this also brings back the kind of pseudo-parental roles of both Franny right. and Jack. And Jack. And I love that, that Franny wants to compare notes and yeah. Jack is not having it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and they're like, yeah, she's trying, and he's keeping things from her. And he's got this smug look on his face. I know, this, that was well played. Well, but they've been sort of gossiping about the two of them this entire series, which I love. Like, yeah. all the way mm-hmm. back to episode three, 
the green mill where Jack is like, has he asked her to the dance yet? You know, right right at the beginning of the episode. (laughs) So the whole time they've been watching these two. Is that where uh, Hugh gives her uh, galoshes for her birthday? It might be shortly thereafter. Um, Ready, Gore? Did that happen that long ago? It was it very was early. We need a timeline. We need like a hue and dot timeline. Oh, that's true. I just true. remember the galoshes. How romantic. An infographic Hugh, or something. He was just clueless. <laughs> Poor Hugh. Poor Hugh. Poor Hugh. He's getting better. He's, yeah, he, he comes around. If Like, he gets there eventually. But it is interesting that he never even thinks to ask her. He just assumes. Oh, yeah. What you course, want is galoshes. Well, no, I was referring to just assuming that, of course, a married woman is doesn't work. Right. Because she then will be happy to make a home. And mm-hmm. what's so funny, part of this paradox, is had Hugh made that assumption a season and a half ago, Perhaps he would have been, been right. He probably would have been right. Because mm. the old Dot, the Dot who was afraid of phones and uh-huh. was scandalized by things, she probably wouldn't have thought twice about it. But she's grown accustomed to this life. She loves this life. She mm-hmm. loves... We've seen her develop confidence in herself. And mm-hmm. she now sees herself as invaluable to Phryne and having skills and figuring stuff out and she helps Hugh out she transcribes notes for him she so she's helpful to everybody and she knows that I wonder how it would have looked to have your wife working was that something it would have been unusual well, it would have been considered shameful really oh to be sure because then that that to, to some people's way of thinking that would have meant that you as the provider as the man you are falling yeah. down on the job yeah. you are you are not doing your job if you were your wife shouldn't have to work right? now i think there were exceptions to this like if the husband and wife owned and ran a business together like mm-hmm. like a hotel or a restaurant or something right. like they probably both would have pitched in as would have been the case like in brown town when right. you know um, but also, I mean, socioeconomic positions, if you had people who were really living hand to mouth and every, you know, I mean, even mm-hmm. the kids are working in the factories. Sure. Mm-hmm. So part of it might've had to do with being, I don't know, middle it, class. Or well, more. definitely. So it would definitely. have been a perception of you are so poor that your even your wife has to work. Right. Right. But even if you go back far enough, I mean, there would have, so in the 19th century, um, women who were teachers were not allowed to work after they were married. Right. They, once yeah. you, they once you got married, you my, could not work as a yeah. teacher. My grandmother worked in an office and had she and my grandfather got married very quietly across state lines so that it wouldn't so be printed in the local paper right. and she could keep, so she her could job. keep her job. And did your grandmother take off her ring every day before going yes, to work? Yes, she did. She, she had did. to. But I can't, I can't imagine going to your workplace every day. Having to pretend had, you're not married. Yes. Well, well, but if it was during the Depression, so, she needed the job. So Yeah, and the standard, <sighs> the the standard jobs probably. for many years for women were teacher, nurse, secretary. Those were the, those were the acceptable Jobs, yeah. Unless it was helping out in the family business, like right. maybe you know seamstress or or helping helping dad out with something or taking orders at the pub or whatever. But this is why Hugh wants to is keeps trying to get a promotion. He's trying to enlarge his own salary so, so he that he can, can support provide both of them. Well, and eventually the family, right? Yeah, and he's. I mean, it's such a important thing to him that he keeps ignoring all of these uh, these other signs that Dot is giving him of not quite following his plan or, you know, not being on the same page. I love that she even, so... she even lists motoring with Miss oh, Fisher. As, and she's, but Dot, you hate motoring with me. <laughs> but everything yes, else. Yes, but I love everything else. <laughs> I know. That's such a sweet scene. Yeah. And, yeah. That, and I love that bit where she says, but that's how it's always been. The wife quits her job when she gets married. And, and Franny says, but that doesn't mean that's how it has to Does stay. Does Dot drive? Mm-hmm. Does no. she have a driving permit? I don't think she does. Doesn't she drive oh, but later? She drives, but she drives in the episode, or does she? Well, she, no. she drives in the race. She does drive in the race. Uh-huh. Wait, does she actually drive? No. No, she, she sits doesn't. in the car she and then Franny sits, in, sits she, in for her. Okay, okay. That's and right. then what's her bucket I don't comes think she up. actually knows how to drive. I don't think she has a driving permit. Huh. Which was not so uncommon. Right. But you know, it would have been unnecessary. If you think about city dwellers, if you lived in a city... Um, you wouldn't have to drive because either deliveries were made, the milkman came to the house, the breadman came to the house, or you could just walk into the city a few blocks. So the idea that you have to drive to either go run errands or buy things, or it was not necessary on a daily basis. 
Um, and only when America began spreading into the suburbs after World War II, uh, and houses became, lots became bigger, and you know, nothing, ha- nobody delivered anything anymore, did women really have to drive, uh, or whoever had to drive to go and run the errands, etc. So it was, it was kind of a generational thing. It just wasn't necessary. And anyway, if there was only one car, and the man used the only reason to have a car would be to go to work. Why would you have a second car? So she couldn't have driven. Well, but it's so. a similar logic to, you know, farm kids learn to drive as right. soon as they're old enough to reach the pedals, the gas pedals, because they have to, I don't know, drive feed out to the cattle or whatever. I mean, when I lived in North Dakota, I don't know what the law is now, but at that time, you could get your driver's license at 14 if you mm-hmm. lived on a farm. Um, and you had to do it for farm chores. Right. And even that, like every kid I knew who grew up on a farm, they were driving the, their dad's truck yeah. at the age oh, of like sure. 11. I was going to say it, it started much earlier. Yeah. And I think sometimes it was because of equipment that they had to help sure. with, like driving the tractor. They yeah. have to learn really early. Cause or, they're... you know, if your dad's on the other side of the farm, you, mm-hmm. know, he's on, you know, he's miles out in the fields or whatever, and you've got to drop something off at home for him. He's just going to send you so you can keep working. Or... Yeah. And that's a nice segue. Equipment. Speaking of equipment... <laughs> I have a note here about the teletype machine that you can actually see at the radio station at one point. Did anyone notice that? No. The, where the, is it? The news wire is coming over the teletype machine where she reaches over and looks, Franny, of course, looks at the oh. at the news coming on the teletype machine. And that was not new in 1923. That was old. Huh. Um, but as long as there have been, you know, almost into the 1890s, there were teletype machines. And those were still in use on into the, I don't know, 1960s or so. There's also that scene where there's a refrigerator in there. And oh, I was and asking, like, right. what, is that th- what is that fridge? So it's the fridge in the radio, in the radio station. It is in the radio station. And it's a, it was common at the time, it's a rectangular refrigerator with a cylindrical thing on the top. And that's because it was an icebox converted into an electric refrigerator. And that's how they often did that. They just put the condenser on the top as a separate motor. <laughs> So instead of having to buy a whole new appliance, okay. you can buy you this just, conversion thing to right. stick on your old ice That's box. So oh, wow. And so even the earliest refrigerators were made that way. Oh, the inside space was not very big. But yeah. Huh. Yeah. Question. Yes. Plot plot wise. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Who is the person that set the fire? That was Dodger. Oh. That was because remember they chased him. Right. I, I still don't know why he set the fire. Wait, the newspaper seller. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He set because the they f- found the the cigarette. Oh, the cigarette thing. pack. With but the, it's still it's okay. still not clear to me why he set the fire. Yes. That he is- was trying to destroy evidence. He was trying to. I mean, if you burn the entire radio station to the ground, then there's no evidence of his uh, passing on those gambling tips, right? That seems like an awfully extreme yeah. for. But I think that's when it. When they didn't really? even care about that, they weren't even they weren't even investigating the. Race I don't think Dodger stuff. was all that bright. No. <laughs> Clearly, yes. And we find him garroted the next morning. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. That that brings me to something. He gets garroted <laughs> by piano wire, right? And and then suddenly the sportscaster <laughs> um, Clary is under suspicion with the piano wire because he had broken a piano wire you're not going to break a string playing the you know what was that the flamboyance jingle it's not like you're playing the sonata pathetique by beethoven like at top volume i love that flamboyance jingle it's so good and it gets stuck in my head every time flamboyance flamboyance and essie davis's voice is fantastic she's surprisingly an alto i would not have pegged her for an alto yeah she's a beautiful voice yeah yeah um, Those old radio jingles are fun. I mean, if I were to run into her and ask her to sing, I don't know if she'd still sing that way, but the way she's singing in the show feels very period as well. Like hmm. if you listen to old recordings of that time, the kind of timber and the type of vibrato and things that they cultivated at that time, she really matches that. So if you listen huh. to like Doris Day, it sounds very 50s. Her right. vocal quality is very mm-hmm. of that era and people were all kind of emulating that style yeah. and there was a different style that everybody was emulating in the huh. 1920s and 30s. Mm-hmm. So she really kind of nails it. It's she really does. great. And I love the reference to Monday morning blues because of course Monday was wash day. Let's talk about that. Well, Tell Mon- us about that. Well, Monday was always wash day. Now I only know this because of reading the Laura Ingalls Wilder books where I think it's on the on the banks of Plum Creek where mm. she's trying to teach just, Laura. She says, Monday's for washing, Tuesday's for God knows what, Wednesday's for I don't know, Thursday's for <laughs> wearing Monday, underwear, Mondays Friday's... Is, I remember Saturday's for baking. Uh, huh. Sunday's depends. for Jesus. I thought right. Tuesday was... 
didn't people visit each other regularly on Sundays? Like go More out so. mm-hmm. visiting? Sure. And, yeah. And so you're baking on Saturday to have something to present when people visit you the I'm next sure day. I'm sure that's true, yeah. Oh, uh, I think I found it. Found what? So Monday was wash day. Oh, yes. Tuesday, ironing. Wednesday, mending. Oh, yes, mending. Thursday's house cleaning. Friday is baking. Yep. Oh, apparently Thursday was cleaning upstairs. Oh, wow. And doing the beds. Friday was baking. Saturday was cleaning downstairs. That is specific. I know. That's sort of the second time we've had, because the washing powder was a uh, plot mechanism in the big big top. In the the boxing one, where it it turned out to be uh, washing powder instead of... uh, Flour. Instead of flour. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, I do love that line that Jack says when... Um, she asks him, well, didn't you notice there was a murder in here? And he says, I've been too busy announcing missing sheep and the price of apples. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just great. There is Funny a stuff. really great camera angle. Actually, a couple of them that I thought were unusual. It comes through the transom in her door. Yes. Yeah. That is one of them. So yeah. Yes, and the weird aerial shot at the very, very beginning when you see the body and then you see Dot and Franny walking yeah. in yes. and it's above their heads. It's some weird camera angles. They started doing that a little bit more, I think. Mm-hmm. And and so there's another one but of those in the next... the angle is the only time I've seen that. Right? It's so yeah. odd. It's so... It's, I love it, though. Because then you're right up against the door and then the door opens. And so you watch her kind of skipping down the stairs. Yeah. And it has actually kind of a soap opera quality to it no, they that have I done like. The, they have done that angle from above in that stairwell from the other side from the stairs but not through the transom oh yeah right right because right. so, you t- see yeah. that tile floor mm-hmm. from that camera angle the other one is the the uh, fish eye view from the fishbowl yeah. oh, that's right. being that dot is walking to the into the office or right. into the station with and i and then sets that was it down fun. i know i yeah that i poor really fish. like that Twice yeah. over. Both those poor fish. Poor thallium fish. So actually, yeah, let's talk about well, thallium. Yeah, you're a science teacher. You're a chemistry teacher. Well, thallium is... You uh, know how to poison people. Well, it's <laughs> good things to know. Noting this now. <laughs> What's really amusing is you sort of think... You think all along that it's going to end up being arsenic because... Uh, Standard she, mystery trope. Well, <laughs> but she's got all the signs. Her, her hair is all frizzy and your hair falls out when you have low she's levels looking of addled arsenic and poisoning. And th- this is a common plot mechanism on the suspense radio show or others where they start giving... If you start giving people low levels of arsenic, you build up their tolerance to mm-hmm. it. And so you're slowly... You're making them ill without killing them uh, for a very long period of time. And it causes stomach ulcer and all this sort of thing. And of course, she's complaining of abdominal pain. And, and when we see her, the first time we see her, her hair is frizzy, and then it's even frizzier. And then, of course, Phryne at one point finds a whole lock of her hair that has right. fallen out. Right. And so uh, thallium, and we were just talking about this before we started here, that thallium was in rat poison in the 1920s, but it most certainly is not now. Uh, people aren't really killed much with thallium it's anymore. This is one of the many substances that have been banned <laughs> well, over the years. Well, internationally, you don't find thallium in rat poison. What was it, 1934 they banned it? I guess so. Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. Pretty nasty uh, poison. Um, okay, so speaking of terrible lipstick, can we can we talk about some ladies' wear? Yes. Um, Let's we, do that. We get kind of a... So Louisa, the poor dead girl at the beginning, is wearing sort of a version of that amoeba coat that we hate. Because she's wearing like an amoeba dress. It's almost the exact same fabric, only it's a slightly lighter blue. Wow. Okay. And I thought, oh, amoeba. Amoeba, die. Amoeba, die. (laughs) Um, And I I have to say, I I don't love that mauve velvety thing that... Franny's wearing for half of the show. Yeah, the kind mm. of burnout velvet with mm-hmm. like, it's mm-hmm. almost like a... Like crackle almost. Yeah, it's crackle combined with like alligator. There's it's a scaliness to it. It's not yeah. my favorite. No, but I love the hat that she wears oh, with it. Oh, yeah. She does, doesn't she end the, the show with that classic beaded flapper gown? Beautiful. Right. Beautiful. That, that very straight yeah, lines, that black. Gray. Yeah, so we were, you and I were watching, when we were watching this together... We agreed that we think that's probably a vintage piece she was wearing. Oh, I think so. At yes. the end, I, yeah, I think it probably is. I don't actually like it that much. Really? It's it's it's, it's rather it's rather an overdone look. I mean, it's what you think of with the twenties. It's kind of unflattering. Cause it is it's a very wide. But it's very was, wide. That's that very panel, flapper. That panel is really wide. But it is straight lines. You're absolutely right. It's very right. loud it too. Is. 
and I'm sure it was so heavy. Probably I love weighed the like sound 20 that it makes I really when do she moves really? around. You can hear it. Yeah, I'm you sure can. It's, I'm sure it's a vintage gown. Yeah, I would believe that. I it is love beautiful. the green stuff, the green outfit with the the silk. Oh yeah, kind the of gold grid work, gold. Yeah, and then that beautiful, almost a skull cap with that tassel that she's wearing. That's right. That it's velvet. a one single mm. green tassel. I love that. There is actually a lot of bling in this one because yeah. the first thing we see Hazel in is this chocolate brown suit mm-hmm. with gold thread woven in, which I mm-hmm. love. Oh, I <laughs> want that suit right now. And then she's wearing kind of a matching blouse mm-hmm. that has like not quite chevron, but it's stripes, and then they mm-hmm. were cut in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes it look like gold she- chevron. But Hazel's outfits, I was not. You, you are not a fan? Mm-hmm. Poor Hazel. And then Dot Dot wears some interesting stuff. Of course, she's in her, you know, mauve, as she always is. And yes. But she is wearing a very odd dress for much of it, where it's almost like a sailor suit. She's got this white, wide collar, and then she has these big scarf-like lapels that pop down, that that dangle down. Yeah. But they're so odd because one one of these dangly things has buttonholes on it and the other one has buttons. Oh. But you would never button that. They're They're, just decorative, right? Yeah. It's not meant to be buttoned. No, I was looking at that later because she was wearing that. You asked me about that. And I actually think they are functional. Um, But then there's a little tab button that she has buttoned in between them. It's so odd. But you know, I I think it's sort of like there are certain men's overcoats. um, That you'd never button. But that would button all the way up to the neck. Sure. And there's always that buttonhole and the matching button up here. But it doesn't serve any function because it they just dangle. They don't. It doesn't close anything. If you were to button it, it would be like having a necktie. I think it's actually the uh, what do you want to call the. uh, it, it's the it's the placket, it's it's the front placket of a but coat. They're not attached to anything. It's so odd. I think they are. The thing that I, I do love is that, though is she's wearing a dress later that's almost the same color, but she has these like a floral collar and then floral triangular patch pockets on it that I think mm. are adorable. Mm-hmm. I am a big fan of patch pockets. Very nineteen twenties. The um, coat that she wears during the scene where she's being strangled. It's that black and white. With the racing like, stripe. Yes. Yeah. I love that coat. Yeah. And I We've think seen that coat before. We have seen it before. Yeah. Every time it makes me drool. I don't drool. know how she like, keeps that white stripe clean, especially when she's, yeah. you know, on the floor getting strangled. She's dot. But yeah. It still looks pretty pristine. It really does. That. I Good love that washing coat. powder. I suppose. Flamboyance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and she... um. With her green outfit, she's got these beautiful, subtle little earrings that look like, they look like little Pac-Man. The earring uh, was a like, plot mechanism in this one, too, because Hazel, oh, Hazel's Hazel earrings, lost an earring. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I was talking about Franny's, those gold mm. ones with the little discs, right. like the three discs. Those are so pretty, against, especially yeah. against her black hair. And Fry, it, I, you know, you talked about Hazel being kind of askew because of the poisoning, like her hair was frizzy. She also, even like I was distracted by how awful that shade of lipstick was, but <laughs> she also, it wasn't put on right. Like it was, it was put on the way I would put on lipstick, uh, which is not very well. And so it was kind of uneven and it huh. was kind of where it wasn't well, supposed to be. She's got those abdominal pains from the thallium. Right. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so when you compare that with Friday, who was always looking so put together, yeah. and she's wearing that red lipstick with the green outfit and she just looks perfect all mm-hmm. the time. And then poor Hazel is, you know, she's trying to keep up her appearance, but it's just not, she can barely hold it together. Yeah. She's got a very, she has kind of a flamboyant wardrobe. Oh, Hazel Lord. does. That, and, oh, which, that weird boucle jacket with the loud, mm. pa- oh, I just, no, <laughs> no. I think I liked her things more than you did, but I was well, also I struck. Hazel you're talking about. Yeah, Hazel. I liked her little enamel flower pin on her mm-hmm. maroon, on her wine colored cloche hat. I liked that. That was about it. <laughs> she she clearly had money, though, as I was thinking about her mm-hmm. wardrobe. Because yeah. the things she was wearing would have cost a lot. So sure. her job on the radio show And her husband's was, outfits, too, all that camel hair. Yeah. Camel hair is not cheap. No, although Jimmy is, it's interesting. We think about the different murderers we've seen <laughs> in, in these various episodes. And, and sometimes it's murder for one reason or another. I think he actually falls under the umbrella of one of the more frightening 
He's really the scene where he's strangling Franny. He's very calculated about it. He's, he's like, I mur- yep, I murdered them, and I'm going to murder you really too. It's quite terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't this kind of just fall under domestic violence? Oh, totally. I mean, Absolutely. isn't that like when you just like boil it down? That's what you got. Maybe that's oh, why yeah. his hair is always so unkempt because he's just so busy you know, beating the crap out of women all the time. <laughs> I mean, the last episode was the one in the vineyard and the murder which had taken place was because of basically anti-German racism and, and that poor woman who was sad because her own sons didn't come back from the war and that's very sad. But this, no, he's just terrifying. He's just, white he is. Beater. I, I and agree. And Hazel talks about how controlling he is. Yeah. Like, he won't let her drive. He won't let her pay for anything. Very he controlling. won't let her do... He's and a, she, she's going to get this a, job in Sydney for the megalo- new syndicated radio. A megalomaniac, really. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's pretty scary. He is scary. Actually, put me in mind of the boogeyman from season one who finally got oh. his... Hmm. He put me in mind of him. Yeah. Oh. Although not quite as. Except smooth. not like he didn't believe in a crazy afterlife well, in no. Egypt. No. No, but you're right. He is more really terrifying scary. than the other murderers that we've had who have some crazy out there reason for doing what they're doing. And he's just like coldly absolutely a psychopath yeah. or absolutely. sociopath. Yeah. But the um, the blue flashback to when he is strangling Louisa. Oh, and he is like <laughs> he's like panting when he's when he's, he's when he's laughing as he's forcing her is to that eat what he's doing? page five. Oh, but he but looks then, like he's panting, but I think you're right. It I looks think he like is laughing. he's like it's like this weird like he's having sex with something yeah. like really <laughs> like oh. It's, it's, yeah. Also, it's blue. Who, it's like the and exact. And who destroys blue. evidence by making her eat an well, entire Well, I mean, she's already dead. She's not going to swallow it. She's not going to swallow it. Oh, but she swallowed some of it. Remember, well, they found the they contents found in her the stomach. Pristine corner that says five. Yeah, Wasn't that convenient? I, yeah, yeah. But also, it kind of made me laugh because that bluish reenactment is like the same like the reenactment the dramatizations yes. on unsolved mysteries that they do right now <laughs> and then there's that screechy sound yeah yeah to go along with it yeah. i know i it's kind of love it cheese ball yeah i do uh, enjoy that though i did love the um and of course we've seen this before but in the 1920s newspaper format, which was this big <laughs> instead of this big, so that the pages are also large. They're huge. Oh, this is one this of wonderful. the things that this is one of his pet rants when they when they cheaped out and went to the smaller. Oh my goodness! Newspaper size it was a few so much years easier ago. to read a paper when it was oh, this wide. No, it's not. Okay, yes, so it was. we just now you have to hold your elbows in really close. I okay. We just started subscribing. I'm just gonna pop to... some popcorn. I'll be right back. <laughs> We just started subscribing to the weekend um, New York Times, yes. and I am finding it actually very difficult but the to New York read. Times is quite a narrow format now. No, it's huge. I have no, it I, isn't. there are certain places I can't read it the paper. It used to be wide, but it's not anymore. Oh man, it's so huge. Let's talk Downton Abbey, where they used to iron the newspaper. Right. I can't imagine a paper being wider than the New York Times is right now. I, I it was already, 15 years ago. Like, I already have to ago. choose when I'm going to read it based on where I'm sitting because one of the options is a love seat that my husband would also be sitting in, and I cannot, <laughs> we cannot be reading the paper at the same Unless time. Unless he holds one half. <laughs> I guess we can do that. That's, That's not going to work. You hold the recto, I'll hold the, hold the verso. <laughs> we haven't tried that. That's I don't see funny. that working well, out, but... Newspapers were bigger. They were. So when did they... It all started in the 90s. Things started getting smaller. 18 or 19? No, 1990s. Oh, okay. Well, because, you know, a lot of newspapers are just dying on the vine now. Sure. But was it, like, people reading on the train, so they made it narrower? I don't know. I think it was a cost-saving. They eliminated the margins, started... Basically, they eliminated the spaces between everything Mm. to make it smaller, and then they would save on paper, um, and then they got smaller and smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. And now, I and don't like think, our local newspaper, they just have less content anyway. So. I don't think yeah. any newspapers are printed on the old, really big format. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Hmm. And the New York Times is bigger than, say, the Seattle paper, but it's still not as big as it was 20 years ago. Huh. Yeah. I remember when they changed it. Well, well speaking, I, I have old newspapers. I could, I could show you the transition. We could measure. Well, right. speaking of props, I, you know, so many times we have episodes where the costumes are really the star of the show. I feel like the props master is the star of the show of this well, one. Oh, the radio paraphernalia. Yeah, yeah, like that beautiful octagonal speaker with the round speaker cloth mm-hmm. in the middle, and it's got that like cast iron. It's definitely it's like cast aluminum or cast iron on the bottom, and then With the close-ups of the records and the stylus mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, like the holes on the Victrola. Yep, mm-hmm. and then the invitation, the ABA invite, where it's got that, yeah, gold. Mm-hmm. Um, 
embossing or something on it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, the fork and then the, the microphone and the award that she got in the shape of the microphone And my favorite bit is at the end when she hit him with that. She does. Yes. That would hurt like hell. Those little corners on there. Like you could kill a guy with that. Um, my favorite props though, are at the end when they have the toasting party for Hugh and dot and they're drinking champagne out of those, very shallow champagne glasses, which are my favorite type of champagne glasses. They they were traditionally used for champagne, not the flutes. And I think they are so much classier than champagne was still, flutes. That was common up until the 50s. Why don't people use those anymore? I think those things are beautiful. I don't know. I would be hard to... Fashion's changed. I mean, don't, doesn't that slosh a lot more easily? Maybe, but it's elegant as all hell. Can it we, is. Let's get some of those. <laughs> yes. <laughs> About 200 for your Christmas party. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Happy thoughts. So the props, th- there's some nice little historical tidbits woven into the, at the end of the show, we learn that the station is going to be taken over by the National Broadcasting Service, which was actually established in 1927, I looked up, but was very short-lived because then it became swallowed by the, the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting yeah, uh, Broadcasting Corporation, Which is like the BBC, right? And so that's what CBC. exists now. So, but that, but that was nice because it then showed by the end of the 1920s, the sort of um, the, all these smaller stations would be woven into the larger the network. National, so then yeah. sure. you would be, you know, you you would be still responsible for some local programming, but a lot of the shows you would be getting from the translator station, and you wouldn't have to. But still, nothing was recorded. There was no tape. Yeah. So it was either broadcast live. Or it was from a record album, or it was coming from the main office being broadcast live. You know, in the 1940s and 50s, they actually, because the East Coast and the West Coast are three hours apart, for example, the New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, they would do two broadcasts, one for the East Coast and one for the West Coast. They actually would read the script twice, one for the East Coast, one for the West Coast. Okay, this is kind of neither here nor there, but can we talk a little bit about Sess and Bert? Yeah. I feel and how they like, wear the exact same clothes in every episode. Well, they only have a budget for one costume for those poor guys, <laughs> except when they're dressed up like a panda bloody bear. Um, and we heard Travis talking about how, I think S.E. Davis commented, oh, you're getting a new outfit, because yeah. they were in like the oh, right. costume trailer. S.E. gets the entire costume budget, but mm-hmm. they were getting one new piece or something, and it was like, whoa, cause whoa. for celebration. I felt like Sess and Bert in this episode were more Travis and Anthony than they were Sess and Bert. Because especially Travis. Travis seemed almost giddy. (laughs) And he's never giddy in that show ever he's so right. grumpy and then there's all these lines like when he's what was the line where he's like oh we could we could buy it ourselves or whatever mm-hmm. like that felt like travis coming through that's funny yeah being silly. Oh, right. they have the scene where they're there to put money down on the uh-huh. horse based on the tip right. right they're walking to the newspaper stand and right saying, what was the horse that had they had the tip glory on? girl glory girl that's right <laughs> i was thinking we should organize a trivia show oh. like a, or a trivia con- competition yeah people would be really into that wouldn't that be fun and mm. people would kick my butt oh my gosh i can't gosh. even remember I, the name of the no, episode that's why, mary that's why we organize it because then we don't that's have to actually, then you don't have to watch me lose really badly <laughs> we get to write the questions i remember and, random facts like what year such and such song was written but i can't remember the name of any of the episodes or any of the characters oh, forget it yeah yeah. We had almost no scenes in the in the police station in this episode. True. We had yeah. Well, the the one with Hugh kicking back in right. Jack's. I love chair. that. And they get the the secret stash yes. of cookies. Let's, I just I can't wait any longer. Let's talk about the end scene. Okay, good. Oh yeah. When okay, first of all, now when they pan away and they're singing together, he's I'm pretty sure he's not playing. But at the beginning, at least, Jack is really playing. You can always spot someone who actually knows how to play the piano because the way they, their technique, the way they hold their hands, like it's very obvious. Um, so I'm guessing Nathan Page really can play. Um, I love that scene so much. Everything from like the lighting to the choice of music. That song, Let's Misbehave, was written by Cole Porter, written in 1927, so it would have been a hit at the time mm-hmm. it would have been like a new hit oh, sure. um, so I think that was such a great piece for them to to choose for that moment it's a great ending and of course Geraldo and his, his voice is deep his yeah. singing voice is he singing or just sort of pretending to sing yeah he's not really a singer okay no I think he was I mean, singing well, I think he was singing but he's not like 
Yeah. Singing is not his no. thing on his resume, let's say. <laughs> right. So he's not a triple threat in that <laughs> sense. <laughs> Unless you count biking. <laughs> he's very good at biking. So biking, acting, what's the third thing? <laughs> I haven't seen him dance. Uh, yes, we, we, we have. Did Season we? three. Of course. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, there's also oh, motorcycle stunts. That's the uh, third thing. Yeah. Yeah. He can do his own motorcycle stunts. Very important. <laughs> it is a really nice scene. I actually was listening to an interview with Nathan Page really early on when I found the show. I was still only a few episodes in. And the interviewer took a break to play that duet. Mm. And I could not imagine where this was falling into the show. I was so confused. Like, they sing a duet? When? Why? And was so, like, I kind of did not believe that it happened until we got to the end of this episode. It's so perfect. Oh, this is where they sing the duet. It's just perfect. It's perfect. It is. And it, I don't know, it just feels very period. Oh, it's great. You know, it's the jazz age Mm -hmm. and... I don't know. It's in the episode about the radio. I mean, well, and plus we see it's for it's more of Jack loosening up. Yeah, I think it fit you know. within the context of this episode because they are out of the office. He's taken on an alter ego, so he has been allowed mm-hmm. to loosen up a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, this wouldn't work in any other episode that we've seen so far. Not like it so would be well. well, certainly not those that long angsty period where he's so mad at her for you know. <sighs> so what do? The, the whole theme about independence versus marriage with Dot, where do she and Hugh land at the beginning mm. of the engagement party that Franny well, throws? That they're going to take time to figure it out and that, right. that they don't have work, to figure it out right away. Yeah. That okay. it's a paradox and they're going to agree to a long engagement because we'll figure it out. To, okay. And I love that he's kind of mansplaining it to her <laughs> where he goes, well, you see, Dottie... <laughs> It's a paradox. Like, he knows what the hell... Like, he barely even knows what that word means. Regurgitating parts of what Jack told him. I think we should toast to the paradox of the modern woman. Ooh. That's... Yes. That's great. And I am happy for it to remain a paradox. I don't know about you. (laughs) Here, here. So everybody grab their glass, and we'll do a little toast to the paradox of the modern woman. Indeed. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.